So, <clears throat> I wanted to start the sermon today by, by clarifying something that I talked with some kids on Friday night about, and that is that Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. And, uh, and that sometimes can be assumed, we just kind of assume that, like that's his birthday, and yet, I, sorry if that's like saying Santa Claus doesn't exist. That's maybe a two big things for you right now. You're like, what? Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Hannah Santa Claus doesn't exist? But neither of those things, right? So, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm sharing that with you is because I think things like that uh, can make people think the whole story isn't real. <laughs> right? And, and the story is very real. What we do uh, this time of year um, isn't go, hey, it's Jesus' actual birthday, so let's celebrate. What we're remembering together is the, literally the greatest gift that was ever given um, to this world by God himself to us. And that, that might um, seem cheesy. You might have heard that before. It's God's greatest gift. It's the greatest gift. But it's, it's true. And, and think about it in terms of the best-known verse, probably. John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave, he gifted Jesus. And so what we remember this time of year is, is God's great gift. The, the thing that we talk about then is, that we want to get into, dig deeply into, is what does that mean for God to gift Jesus to the world? Um, there's a Christmas song <clears throat> that I've kind of been in rebellion against, and um, it's this Christmas song that's really catchy, it's called My Grown-Up Christmas Wish List, or something like that. Uh, and, and it gives this list of, you know, now that I'm older, my desires have changed. And so the list is, No More Lives Torn Apart. Amy Grant sings it much better than I do, so I'm not going to ruin it for you. No More Lives Torn Apart. Wars Will Never Start. And time will heal all hearts. Every man will have a friend that right will always win and love will never end. And, and the reason why I've been in subtle rebellion, even though it's so catchy, and I find myself humming it sometimes, is, is because when I, I read this list and I listen to this song, you know, I think I've been swept up in this movement sometimes of going, well, put Jesus back in Christmas, and as if, as if it's possible to take him out of Christmas, right? And, and so this song doesn't talk about Jesus, but what I want to talk about in regards to this list as we approach Jesus today as Prince of Peace is that we Christians, who our hearts also long, long for this, I want no more lives torn apart. I desire that. I hope that wars will not start. I, I want everyone to have a friend. And, and you hear this resounding in a song like O Holy Night that says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul finally, finally feels its worth. That we long for these things because we long for the world to, to feel its worth, the soul to feel its worth again. And, and so as we talk about Prince of Peace, um, I, I want us to uh, help 
those that we love and don't know Jesus, but even help ourselves to embrace this longing that we're all sharing. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be that, that, that they go, oh, I really need Jesus. Jesus is all I need. But when we hear them say, I don't, I don't want to see people hurting anymore. I don't want to see the world filled with war and violence anymore. And we say, yes, I agree with you. And what, because we know what they really are saying is, I really need a prince of peace. I need, I need someone strong enough to bring that in because it's a feeling of helplessness, right? It's a feeling of helplessness. I don't know how to see the wars in the world stop. I don't, I don't know how to see everyone have a friend. Um, so when we talk about Jesus as prince of peace, we're talking about one who we believe is strong enough, mighty enough um, to fulfill the dream of peace. Um, this, I, I thought about this in, in the terms of how oftentimes, um, I, some, I think our, our most realistic pictures of the world sometimes come through fiction and the way uh, we start embracing as a culture uh, the way we think the world is uh, headed, where we think the world is headed. And, and you see this in dystopian fiction. Dystopian fiction simply means that uh, it's a community or society that is um, undesirable or frightening. It's literally a definition. And so we read books like Hunger Games, which has gotten a bad rap from this pulpit recently. But I love the books. Um, so... <laughs> This dystopian fiction that goes, hey, if the world stays on this track it's on, it doesn't look good. And so we read those things, and there's, there's a part of it, even though it's fiction, there's a part of us that goes, yeah, if, you know, if we look who's becoming president, maybe we don't have a whole lot of hope for the world, right? Or, or if we leave it in the hands of any person, uh, that's scary, Right? But then when we, when we think of um, fairy tales, <laughs> we see a, another view, and it's fantastic, right? When we think of, think realistically, oftentimes we think of the, fic- the, uh, the fiction, right? But when we think of, like, what my dream is, we think of a fairy tale. And, and what I want to show you today is the reality, the reality that Jesus speaks into the world of who he is and what he's able to do for you. And I want you... And me, to be able to, at the end of the day, go, Jesus, I just, I trust you completely. Um, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 9. And we've been in Isaiah 9, 6 for, uh, this is our fourth week. And, and today we're going to deal with uh, all of 6 and 7, maybe in a little more thorough way. We've looked at each word, but... The promise in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is of this uh, absolute uh, anticipated reign of God over all things. And so Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, For to us a a child is born, (laughs) which is pretty cool, because that's what we see in the Christmas story. We see a, a baby being born. It's not, we see a a mighty man rise up, and we see this this weird, this weird anticipation of freedom coming through what? A child. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Listen to this. It says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So, so the promise is that a child will come and it says the government, the, the reign and rule over the world will, will literally, it says, will rest on his shoulders and it, it says the, the greatness of his government, there will be no, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So, what we're going to look at today really quickly is just how Jesus uh, shows us what it means to rule, what it means for him to rule, and then he shows us what it means to rest. Um, and those are two incredibly important things for us. So what it means for Jesus to rule um, is this. If you think about a prince, and this is maybe the thing I wrestled with the most preaching on Jesus' Prince of Peace, is uh, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of a prince. I think of a king. And because we know him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? And so, so it doesn't seem highly complimenting to call someone a prince because a prince relies on an inheritance, right? So a prince, the only power a prince has is in the anticipation that they will one day be king. And so uh, as a prince, this means that Jesus would have to submit completely to the will of the Father, right? Which is crazy because that's the wording we see in, in Jesus' relationship with the Father. It also means that, um, that uh, unless he walks in that faithfulness, um, like there's, there's this anticipation of what will happen, right? If, if the inheritance doesn't come, right? And, and we enter this place of, like, turmoil here with Jesus going, what will happen if the inheritance doesn't come? And don't worry, we're going to talk about what the inheritance is. It also means that, um, well, let's, let's take it this angle. Um, turn with me to, to Genesis uh, 49.10. And, and I want you to see here that the promise of Jesus is that Jesus will be king. But I want to walk walk together through this idea of how does, how does Jesus move from prince and why does he start as prince and, and why does he then end up king? So in Genesis 49.10, we have the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Abraham was given a promise that every single person, every single nation on earth would be blessed through him. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Uh, Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob then has a ton of kids, okay? And at the end of his life, uh, Jacob starts blessing his kids. And to Judah, he gives this blessing, uh, Genesis 49.10. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until... uh, he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all the nations will be his. 
Okay, let's read that again. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all nations will be his. So the anticipation of the one who would come is one who will come and be king. And literally, it says, like when it says the government will reign on his shoulders, it says here that the obedience of all the nations shall be his. And in that, we see this, this power and authority that literally only rests with God himself, right? Um, God alone is one that rules over all things um, with incomparable might and power. If you read in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, it says that his dominion is an eternal dominion. It says that no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So we have this absolutely incomparable power. And the, the promise is that, that, a, that a son of Judah eventually will come and literally everyone will be in obedience to him. Okay, so, so the question is, so why do we start with Jesus as prince and not just Jesus as king ruling over all things? The reason is this, that Jesus becomes like us in every way. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago as Jesus being mighty God. Um, Jesus becomes like us in every way so we can literally share with him in everything that he is. Jesus is becoming like us in every way so we can share with him in everything that he is. Um, If you turn with me, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, you have uh, what's called the Christ hymn, which, you know how we sing songs every Sunday morning. Um, Philippians 2 is a song that was likely sung by the early church. Um, So as we read it, we're basically reading their music. Um, In Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." And we're going we're gonna to pick up from there and, and look at what that means. But when Jesus becomes prince and, and willingly submits himself to, like, under the will of the Father, this is what happens. Is, and why it's so hard for us to understand this is for us, for you and I, we spend literally our entire lives trying to figure out who we are, and why we're here, right? The cries of your heart, like, you, you, your whole life, like, whether it's ambition you're chasing after, like, like, maybe if I get a promotion, or maybe if I build my company this big, or maybe if I raise my kids this well, or whatever that is, um, we try to establish our identity so at the end of the day we can go, oh, I know who I am. What this is saying is Jesus being so certain of his identity, being in very nature God, didn't didn't think he had to use that to his advantage by going, hey, 
you need to figure this out and obey. But, but what he did was literally he made himself like us in every way. Like us in every way. Living in submission to God in every way. So literally, the inheritance that, that he anticipates and that he wins, he will share with us in every way. Um, The question I, I asked while I was while I was studying for this was so why would Jesus do this? Um, why would Jesus, who is God, like why would He choose to uh, reduce Himself and humble Himself? Um, because Jesus, being certain of, of who he is, doesn't need an inheritance. And, and the only answer is because you need an inheritance. Because, because you lost your inheritance. Because when you struggle with the question of who I am and why I'm here, the answer you won't come to is because I am an heir with Christ of everything. Unless... Unless he comes down and picks you up and, and makes you again royalty, right? So the longing of your heart, literally, I think the longing of all our heart is to, to have significance. And, and apart from Christ, we, we don't have the significance that we were created for because we lost it. We lost our inheritance, and, and Jesus becoming prince in anticipation of being king, which we read here in Philippians, says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess um, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So th- this is what's crazy exciting, is we see Jesus humbled below everyone and then Jesus exalted above everyone to raise everyone up to be with him. Okay? And this is the crazy good news of Christmas. Um, turn, they're going to turn to four verses that are going to absolutely blow your mind. Um, the first is in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it describes what... Um, what Jesus' inheritance is. And it says, in, in starting in verse 9, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, you can't get reduced any lower than that. <laughs> right? And though... The Lord made his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his day, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. So what happens here is, is literally he suffers, uh, he suffers in the way uh, that all of us deserved. Right, so all of us who battle with feelings of insignificance or or God, I don't know who I am. Literally, 
All those things we struggle with, Jesus takes on himself. And so you could be his offspring and you could share in his inheritance. Um, look at Romans 8.17 with me. In Romans 8.17 it says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Um, so what does this mean? If you turn to Revelation 3.21, and this, this is the extravagant promise that I don't know how to handle. In Revelation 3.21 it says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on the throne. So, um, how do you handle that? The, when, when we hear the story of Jesus coming, I think we respond like the prodigal son who comes home and says, just make me a slave, like I just want to be home. And when the father puts the robe on the son and says, no, you're my son. And and what is being spoken over us in, in Revelation 3.21 says, the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on the throne. Like, do you guys get that? Be like, no, but I want to. I, I want to know what it means that, that I'm a co-heir with Christ. That will transform your life. That will transform what it means. that Jesus didn't come as king and go, hey, subjects. But he came and said, no, I, I am living faithfully to receive an inheritance. And when I get that inheritance, I'm taking all of you with me. And that's the good news. The good news isn't, isn't that you are outside the home of God and then you get to be a slave in the home of God. The good news is that you are outside the home of God and didn't deserve to get brought in the home of God. And he says, look, you're my son, eat at my table, or my daughter, eat at my table. And, yeah, did someone say amen? Amen. Do it. Shout it out. Okay, that's, that's good news. What is your significance as a person? My significance is I'm, I'm royalty, not, not of an earthly kingdom that can ever get taken away, but of a kingdom that has no end. That will go on forever. Right? That's, that's who we are in Christ. In, in Isaiah 9-6, it says, from that time on and forever. So, uh, that's what it means for Jesus to be prince. A prince is one who stands in line for a kingdom and we stand there with him. Um, what does it mean for him to be a prince of peace? Well, um, when you hear that someone is a prince of a place or a king of a place, it, it, it's a, it locates them, right? And, um, and peace is the place Jesus is from, and it's, it's the place he invites us to, and it's a place of absolute belonging for us. That's what it means for Jesus to be Prince of 
peace. It means that's the place he comes from, that's the place he invites us to, and it's a place of absolute belonging. Um, the word here for peace is the word shalom, and it can be translated all these words. Completeness, safety, prosperity, peace, tranquility, and friendship. So imagine this, prince of completeness, prince of tranquility, prince of friendship, prince of prosperity. That's the place I want to be from. And that's what Jesus is offering to us. How do we, how do we receive this and rest in this? Um, turn with me to Ephesians 2.14. I'm going to take you through four verses um, Really quick, Ephesians 2.14. It says, for, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility. So, Simply, when it says making the two groups one, the two groups one meaning, it talks about Jews and Gentiles here, but to simplify it just means insiders and outsiders. And, and so in Jesus, the, the division wall, the thing that divides us between those who are outsiders and insiders, he just takes away. And, and all those who find themselves in Christ, in him, found in Christ, it says will be at peace. And so what this means for us is um, peace is possible for you completely, both between God and men and women, people, right? Possible completely between you and God and you and other people. Why? Because, because we're located in a different place, right? We're located in the place of peace, where no longer do we have to prove ourselves. Why? Because he who was in very nature God did not consider equality with God something that he had to prove. He didn't have to prove it anymore. You don't have to prove it anymore. Jesus has proved it for you, and he's invited you into that. And so no longer do you have to be uncertain of who you are. No longer do you have to wonder uh, well, if this person's upset at me, where do I stand? You stand in the place of peace if you stand in Christ. In, uh, in John fourteen twenty seven, it tells us of the enduring nature of this peace. It says, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give. Listen to this promise. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. Guys, receive this word. Jesus doesn't give his peace like the world gives promises. Um, His peace is good for now, forever. And, and so all the relationships you've had where promises have been made and they've been broken, you've been hurt even after, after committing to whoever, um, Jesus doesn't give peace in that way. Why? Because 
because he already gave himself completely to you and he's going to hold up his end of the deal. Right? So as you receive it and you learn to live in that peace, learn to live in Christ, there's eternal certainty. It's not momentary. There's no need for fear in that. Um, we're just going to read, uh, we'll read one more for the sake of time. Turn with me to Revelation 22. Revelation 22 gives a picture of of what our forevermore will be like. Um, The writer of Revelation is a guy named John who spent a lot of time with Jesus. He was one of his disciples. and, And God gives him this pretty fantastic picture of what to anticipate um, for the forevermore. And, and in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, this is what it says. It says, Angels showed me, John, the river of water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of a great street. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding the fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Guys, this is my absolute joy. Um, this promise of God for us, um, as you see the picture it gives, um, there's this incredible prosperity that the faithfulness of the crops bearing fruit, and that fruit is for the healing of nations, that there will be no more curse, uh, no more struggling, no, no even need for, it says, night anymore, where we find our rest because God himself will so satiate our souls with himself, so satisfy us completely that we'll, we will no longer need natural rest. And I, I believe this. And um, it says here, and this is incredible, the last line, did you catch that? It says, and they will reign forever and ever. And that's not just talking about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That is talking about you who find yourself in Christ. You will reign with him. And that, that is what you can anticipate. Um, what you can anticipate when we sing of and we talk about Christ as our Prince of Peace. So, my desire for you today is to receive the message that the shepherds received. Uh, when the angels came, they sang a song to them and it said this. It said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And my prayer for you today is that you will see that God's favor rests on you. That God's favor rests on you. That when you approach him, him who loved you so much, that he didn't stay distant, but he came close. Um, He came close to extend his love to you wherever you are and wherever you've experienced. Even you who have known Jesus a forever time, it seems like. And you're still carrying things that you're like, but but Jesus is just going to leave that one in me. It's my burden to bear until, and, and Jesus is saying, no, like, let me give you rest. Let me, 
Let me grow your heart, cultivate your heart in this time, in this place, because he is Savior now for you. Right? And you can participate in his kingdom now. And you can be, you can be people who bring peace to others because you are now found in him. And so simply this, live in peace and live at peace. Live in Christ, who is your peace. Find your identity there in Him. And spend your whole life at peace. Um, And from that place, you can be radically generous. Radically generous with your love because you are satisfied by Him who can satisfy the whole universe. Because He created it. So guys, let Him be your peace this Christmas. Um, Let Him be your peace the rest of your life. Um, Let's pray and let's worship Him together. God, thank you for using uh, my fumbling through the sermon just to um, show us your goodness. Because that's all we want, God. Um, we want the answers of our heart. Um, we, we want answers for those questions that are saying, explain me to me, and you do in such a gracious way. And you welcome us in to participate fully and completely in your life. And I pray that we'll be all yeses here. <laughs> um, just us saying, yes, God, we, we want you now. We want you forever to live with you and walk with you like you made available. We love you so much. And we pray these things in Jesus, the Prince of Peace's name. Amen.